series on prayer. We've thought about a few things already. We've thought that at the beginning we were made for prayer, and then we, uh, the second sermon, we remember God was our Father, uh, and that gave us confidence. The third, we were thinking about praying through pain, praying in the difficulties of life. And the question that I have for us now, fantastic, is what then uh, shall we pray? What, uh, what should be the content of our prayers? What shall we pray? Now we've, we've taken that time out, we've set the time aside, we've come to God. What do we pray? Now, if you're visiting us, maybe you're just exploring Christianity, or you've got a friend that's just brought you along and you're listening, there's going to be a little bit of in-house talk. We're talking about what Christians pray, but that's okay, don't let that put you off. There's a lot that you can learn about the Christian life and about what it might mean to follow Jesus by learning, uh, li- learning and listening to what the Christian's prayer life is about. So listen in and there'll be, there'll be things for you as well. Uh, but as Christians, yeah, many of us will, will know, uh, unless it's just me, uh, your prayer life consists of a lot of help and not many wor- more words after that. <laughs> it's just help, <laughs> help, help. I don't quite know uh, what to do. And often, our prayer life will, will consist of a lot of practical things, won't it? Uh, it might be things like something to do with work, wh- whether it's a, a new job, it's a job interview, or some financial uh, concern. Uh, it might be uh, we often pray about health issues. Um, the longer we go in life, the more we realize that just health issue after health issue is very widespread, it's very normal. We, we pray for those things. Uh, it might be something to do with family. Um, often it will be concerns for our children, something in school. Uh, we pray, sometimes we, we pray for travel, safety. Um, that's a Christian thing. Uh, and sometimes we pray uh, for relationship sort of dramas. Now, hear, hear, me, hear me rightly here. These are all good things to be praying about. And they are absolutely not unimportant. They are important. However, they can often become more like what we might call obstacle-removing prayers. That's, I suppose, how we, we, we think about all those different areas to pray, and we pray these kind of, God, please remove the obstacle prayers the money to come in, the relationship to go peaceful, the the event to happen smoothly, all the practicalities to be done rightly. We might think of them like that. Now, as I say, please don't hear me wrongly. Paul can say big, broad, wide prayers like, I pray that you have peace at all times and in every way. And I kind of just love that prayer because <laughs> it's just everything. That's just peace at all times and in every way. Uh, and, and the Apostle John, uh, in 3 John 2, uh, again, I love one of these little prayers he has there. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. There, that, that's, that's life, right? That's what we want. Healthy, healthy body, healthy soul and healthy life. All may go well with you. So I'm not saying anything against that, but I think that there's more and I think we can learn from the pattern of Paul's prayer, how we should pray. So we're learning from Paul because he's one of Jesus's uh, specially appointed teachers. 
Uh, and he even says in his letters, and Christians have done this through the centuries, to imitate him. Uh, so what we'll do is we're going to jump into these verses, verse 3 to 11, and we're going we're gonna to listen and learn from his prayer life uh, as to maybe what our prayer life could be, because I think that there's more uh, that we can learn. Now, I'll just say at the outset, obviously this is not everything when it comes to the content of what our prayers could be. we just got this small little section. There's lots of other things we could learn about prayer, but let's just, we'll stick tightly to these verses uh, and see what's here. Uh, first two points are going to be more like observations, and then we'll get into uh, verse 9. And the first thing you, we can observe straight away is thankfulness. Look how he starts. I thank my God every time I remember you. Uh, there we go. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So I thank my God every time I remember you. The Christian life, our prayer life, is actually just full of thanks, isn't it? Paul say later on, this is not just an isolated thing. It's not sort of just, uh, it, it just happens to be that he's giving thanks here. He says later on, uh, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Uh, in fact, Paul, uh, in Romans, in a different letter that he writes to, to another church, um, he says that one of the great big sins of the world, of, of, of people who have not been reconciled to God through Jesus, is that they don't give thanks. People, they, in, 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 intuitively, we, we know that there is a God and we know that we're, we, we are, are created. Um, but people don't honor God or give thanks to God. And so a lack of thankfulness is, 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 is a very, why is that so bad? It's because it's, it's completely misunderstanding what it means to be a human. What it means to be somebody who's, who's utterly dependent on God for absolutely everything in our lives. So when, when people come to Jesus and, and they, they, their eyes are open and they discover um, who they are and who God really is and what life's really about, life gets completely flipped upside down and we realize we're utterly dependent as cr- people created by God, but we're doubly dependent as people who have been redeemed by God. And so that the right way to live as, as humans is to be full of thanks. That's, that's what we are. We're just constantly thanking God uh, for his grace in our lives. But notice that Paul doesn't just give thanks generally. Here, he actually gives thanks for them. I thank my God every time I remember you. So it's not just general thanks. Christians give thanks for God's work in others. And we can see this same outward posture uh, in verse 9 as well. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Christians give thanks. They don't just give thanks for their own lives. They give thanks for other people and for God's work in other people's lives as well. Because we recognize, don't we, that when we were united to Jesus, we were also brought into and united with one another. And so Christianity is immediately communal. It's immediately corporate. It's immediately a family affair. It's it's not a, a thing that you do in isolation. And because we love God and because we love people, when we see God's grace at work in other people's lives, we're saying, thank you, God. So the Christian life is full of thankfulness, and it's it's thankfulness not just for our own lives, but it's thankfulness for others. I find that th- I find for myself thankfulness 
is a very um, it's a very slowing down exercise. I don't know if you find the same thing. Thankfulness is is one of those things that it's hard to just rush through because it requires you to reflect and think, what what am I thankful for? It, and, and true thankfulness really does require you to to think about what thankfulness means. It, it, it's, it's confessing weakness and dependence and need and acknowledging grace and kindness. And I think that slowing down aspect of thankfulness, uh, takes time, but it's got a, it's got this reorienting effect on us so that actually it, it begins to give us life in the act of doing it. Um, and and it should probably lead lead us to comfort in recognizing, wow, God has been really gracious to me. So thankfulness is a really important part uh, of a Christian life of prayer. Now, if if somebody's not a Christian, I, I suppose if you if you are exploring Christianity, I guess one little question here for you would be, what does it what would it mean for you to give thanks? What would it mean to give thank to be somebody who gives thanks in a world where there is no creator, where there is no personal God that you could know, where everything really is just. Uh, Matter and motion and all blind, uh, chance. Is there anything really meaningful in, in giving thanks? If that's your view of the world? I'll just leave that with you to reflect upon. Um, and, and I would suggest that it's actually really, without God, that, that whole impulse to give thanks, which we, we hear lots of people have, it's really quite empty. There's not really much substance behind it, but we know that if there is a creator, that impulse it's actually, it's actually got somewhere to direct towards and, and thankfulness really is a meaningful part of life. And that's the truth that we discover in Jesus. So, so a couple of questions for us as we move on. Do we, do we rush past thankfulness? Do we need to grow in thankfulness? And maybe, um, when we consider others in the, in the church community, or we consider other, other churches or consider God's work in the nation, are there ways that we can give thanks to God for what we see uh, of his work in them outside of ourselves? Okay, so thankfulness is the first observation. Second observation is that this is that confidence in God's sovereign keeping power doesn't stop Paul from praying. What do I mean by that? And that does sound a little bit like an uh, in-house Christian jargon, doesn't it? God's sovereign keeping power. What I mean is this. Paul says here in verse 6 um, that he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You notice that? God began a work in Christians and he finishes the work that he started. Uh, when we come to Jesus, we uh, for, for many of us, our, 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 our experience is that we we find ourselves in need, we find ourselves exploring, we think that we're the ones seeking after, looking for Jesus, looking for God, trying to find help. We come to discover Jesus, and then once we're in, we realize it was actually Jesus looking for me all along. And it wasn't that I found him, it's actually that he found me. It, it actually turns out that I was facing completely the wrong direction. And he came and he, he was, he actually came from behind, got me, turned me around. And he, he started something in me. And the Christian knows that because he started it, he's a faithful God who doesn't just start something and then just go, yeah, 
I guess I'll just give up on that project. No, no, he had a plan. He, he chose us. And then he's going to finish that work. Christians find massive comfort in that because they know that God has got a hold of their lives and he's leading us towards a time when he will rid us of sin, when he will restore our bodies completely in his new creation. He's got a whole plan for the world. He hasn't just given up on his world. It's this wonderful truth. But what can happen, and this is this phrase, God's sovereign keeping power, what can sometimes happen is that when we discover that truth and we begin to realize, wow, God really is in control of all things, that can cause some of us to to start to think, well, well are my prayers really meaningful? How, how meaningful and significant are my prayers if God's got everything anyway? And Paul gives us an example right here where he says, actually, no, it's really meaningful. God's sovereign keeping power doesn't remove the need for our prayers. It's actually that through our prayers, God works out his sovereign keeping power and his sovereign saving plan. And we can see that because even though he says in verse 6 be conf- that he's confident that God's going to finish the work in the Philippians, what does he do? Verse 9, he prays. He doesn't just say, and I'm so grateful, now I can put my feet up. No, that gets him on praying. And look what he says uh, later on uh, in verse uh, <clears throat> uh, 19. He says there, I know that through your prayers and the help given uh, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. See that? Right there, he, he knows. this is gonna, he, He's in prison when he's writing this letter, and he knows he's going to have the faith that he needs, and he's going to get through the circumstance that he's in, and he's going to be able to glorify Jesus in that circumstance no matter what, through your prayers. So Christian, be encouraged. Um, your prayers really are meaningful. They are the means that God has ordained uh, to complete his work in the world. It's a bit like if, if, if we, we said, I'm not going to go to the tap to quench my thirst. I'm just going to trust that God is going to quench my thirst. No, God has given a means for quenching thirst. It's the tap. So it may be that we pray for a supply of water, but once the water's there, we, we go to the water and we drink. We don't just sit around saying, don't worry about it, God will sustain my life, he'll take care of me. Now, God has given means to achieve his ends. And, I mean, means and ends. God's given ways that he completes and, and does his work. And one of them is through our prayers. There are just a couple of observations Let's get now into a bit of the substance. We're going to jump down to verse 9. And he says in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. First thing he prays is he prays for these Christians' love. Why does he pray for their love? He prays for their love because he knows, as Christians know, uh, that love flows out of the heart and we're driven by our hearts. Our heart, the heart of a person is really what's driving and guiding their life. My dad was very um, good at showing me this when I was younger. 
And it's one of the things I'm really grateful for, for in his parenting of me. I might say something like this. I'm so tired. You know, I, I really, do I have to wash the dishes now? I'm just absolutely shattered. And he would say to me, you know, I, I, I had very good mates when I was younger. I'd spend lots of time with my mates. And he would say to me, look, if Jesse knocked on the door, this is one of my mates, he said, if Jesse knocked on the door right now and said, you know, come, come and play, and I said to you, if you wash the dishes, you can play with Jesse, you would wash those dishes in like three minutes, and then you would play with Jesse at like 100 miles an hour for like three hours. <laughs> right? What's he done? He's recognized that actually my heart is really driving my behavior. And it's got this massive influence on how much strength and energy I think that I have, what I think I'm capable of doing, what I end up going and doing with my life. And he would point that out regularly and do regular like that. And I realized it's totally true. If I was with my mates, I'd have a lot of energy and I'd really conform a lot of my life around to make it really happy and good. He's getting into that fact that this this is all just explaining what Proverbs says in chapter 4, verse 23, that that the heart, that verse says, guard your heart above all things because out of it flow the issues of life. The, The Christian knows our hearts really are driving our lives. And that matters, and we'll come back, we're going to come back at the end to those, those various areas that we can pray about in life. Uh, but that matters right here, because we can see that what Paul doesn't pray about is he doesn't pray for circumstance change for the Philippians. And that's really kind of radical. Why? Because look what he says uh, in verse 29 of this chapter. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And verse 30, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's in prison. The situation for the Philippians is that they're, they're getting a lot of, um, trouble from, from those, uh, in their town, city, because they've become Christians, because they've given their allegiance to Jesus. And that has meant that their lives have begun to change. They're not involved in the same types of things that they, they were previously. Uh, maybe they're saying, no, I'm not going to be involved in that, you know, that, uh, sin or that behavior. And they're getting flack from their friends, family, work colleagues, losing jobs. Like life is hard. And really interestingly, when he, he's giving them a window of his prayers for them and his prayer is not first, I pray that that would all be smoothed over. Because Paul knows that life, going back to our initial thoughts, life is completely full of circumstances that are not ideal. And we just move from one circumstance that's not ideal to another, to another, to another, to another. And we just go through life full of non-ideal circumstances. And more importantly than those circumstances, now again, hear, hear correctly, it's not to say that those circumstances are, are insignificant, but relative to them, more important is our response to and faith in the midst of our circumstances. 
That's why he prays for their heart. And he prays specifically for their love. Because he knows that love is going to drive their lives. And, and what he means in Philippians, this particular letter, big theme in this letter, is value and mostly the value of Jesus. And we can see that in chapter 3, if you've got one of these blue Bibles, you can flick it over and you can see it yourself. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, is sort of some classic Christian verses which sum up how much Christians love Jesus. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So Paul's praying for their love, because he knows that it drives their lives, and he's praying for their, because he's praying for their hearts that drive their lives, and he's praying that that love would be in Jesus. Christians love Jesus. Because we've discovered this profound mystery about how God came into the world on a rescue mission for us. And Jesus as the God-man came to stand in our place to bear the punishment for the all of our sins, all of our wrongdoing, in order to remove all of our shame, to deal with that aspect of God's justice that internally we all wrestle with in some way to make new clean people to make and start a new world of people who belong to this new man this new humanity this man God man Jesus and to create a new world where sin and death And the work of the devil is completely gone. As Christians discovered that, and right at the center of that is Jesus. The one who loved us, gave his life for us, is still at work by his spirit amongst us, is in heaven interceding, that's praying for us, and will come back again to get us. Christians love Jesus. And so Paul's prayer, first of all, in the midst of their trying circumstances, I pray that your love would grow and bound more and more. Because when Jesus is your love, look what Paul says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, here's the Christian heart. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why, Paul? He says, because for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because for the Christian, our current circumstances are not the most important thing in our lives. Because we know we're all dying. Our hope is in the resurrection and in the new creation. This story that we've, this true story that we've all been brought into and our desire, this is why he wants their love to grow. Because if their love in Jesus grows, then their desire is going to grow to see him glorified, 
To live is Christ. If I get to live, I get to make more of Jesus because I love him. And if I die, I'll go and be with him. And if I suffer in this life, if my love for Jesus is so big, it will show all the others around me that Jesus is bigger than my circumstances. Jesus is bigger than my trials. He's sufficient for all of my needs. His return really is going to bring that perfect peace at all times and in every way. And he prays that it would grow more and more. That's the Christian life. It's really easy, I think, uh, to start out with love for Jesus. And then as the years go on, we sort of just plateau. But there's more. Do you know there's more? So a question for you here is, where is your love for Jesus at at the moment? And maybe that's something that we need to pray for ourselves and need to pray for others. That our love would abound more and more. So praise for love. We'll do this last two quite quickly. Praise for love. And then he adds on, doesn't he? He doesn't just leave it there. It's love more and more. And then he says, in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Knowledge and depth of insight, so that you can discern what is best. What's he doing? You might say, you might summarize it as saying, he's moving from the heart to the head. What he's doing is he's saying, I don't want you guys just to have heat. I want light as well. I don't want you just to be super on fire and really passionate about Jesus and just flying off here, there and everywhere. But to have taken all of that zeal and focused it in so that you can give yourselves to what is best. It's like those, um, you know, when you get that the magnifying glass in, I was going to say, in the sun. (laughs) There's a thing out there. (laughs) And sometimes it heats up the world. You can do it in Australia. You get a magnifying glass, the sun's shining, and and, and you've got to wear glasses because it makes a super, you know, little tiny bead. You can focus it and start a little fire because all the light is focused in one area and you can just start a little fire and uh, and you can burn your mate's leg, catch him off guard. It's like that, right? He says, don't just want, I don't want a flood of heat. I don't want just a flood of zeal for the Lord Jesus. Focus that with knowledge, discernment, so that you can just, so that you know what the best things to do are. And that is Paul's prayer for them. And that's what we can learn about, you know, how we can pray for others as well. Because why, why do you need that? Why do you need knowledge and insight to grow and this weighing between what the best things to do is because life's really complicated, isn't it? And sometimes, often, you're, you're trying to weigh up what the, not which good thing you should do, but which is the best of the good things that we could do. There's lots of good things that we could give ourselves to. Paul's prayer is that these Philippians, united together, massive love for Jesus, guiding their lives, would be full of knowledge and insight and wisdom coming out of God's word so that they can filter out and work out, out of all the good things, there's the best thing. 
And in, in these complex situations of life, here's how I can glorify Jesus in this situation. Here's how that love that I have for Jesus can cash out uh, in, in, in real world action. So a Christian wants to, really, this is about getting the proper ordering of all of our loves. Jesus at the top, pray for your, pray for your love may abound more and more. And then that in discernment knowledge is that all the rest would all be ordered correctly. Why? Final point. So that we'd be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We could summarize this last as we're moving like this. We've moved from our hearts to our heads to our hands. Now it's cashing out in actual action. And it's got, there's two aspects to it. It's pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. Pure and blameless, we could think of as avoiding those things that we shouldn't be giving ourselves to. It's like a blank piece of paper and you, you're trying to draw a beautiful picture and you don't want any muck to get on there. You want the paper clean. You want it pure and blameless. So there are certain things you keep off it so that it's pure and blameless. And then you positively do things. You, you, you add color and paint to it. You say, so that it is filled with a beautiful picture. And that's the Christian life. The Christian life is about knowing which things to avoid and, but not just avoidance. And that's where many misunderstand both what sin is. And that's why often they don't think that they are sinners, but also what the Christian life is. Because that's what real life is. Life is not just about what we avoid, but it's also about what we give ourselves to. Pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So Christians, they want to avoid pornography, gluttony, theft in all of its various subtle ways, lies in all of its various subtle ways, gossip and slander in all of its various subtle ways, grumbling in all of its various ways. And avoid those, but fill up with purity, self-control, honesty, work, service, truth-telling, integrity, thanksgiving. If you're a Christian, again, if if you've visiting us and you're listening in, this movement that we've just seen from the heart to the head and the hands, so important for understanding what the Christian life is like, what it means to follow Jesus. We don't come to Jesus the other way where we've sorted out the way that we live and we've cleaned up our hearts and we've got everything right. Then Jesus will receive us. We come to Jesus' complete mess. And we discover as we get to know him and as his spirit is at work in us, that he's working on us from the inside out. He, we, we come to him dirty. We come to him needing help, broken. And he fixes us up. So come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus today. And you can discover his life through his spirit in you. I'm just going to close by just bringing back uh, to our first question about prayers. <clears throat> we, we spoke about, I mentioned, you know, we often might pray for work or um, it might be health, it might be family, circumstances, safety, relationships. 
in all of those ups and downs and changes of circumstance in our lives, I wonder what it might look like if we took some of the priorities from Paul, of Paul in his prayers. We began to see that life flows out of the heart, that Christians need to grow in their understanding of all the complexities of life. And then filled with the fruit of righteousness, we might then, that's what's really important. How might that shape our prayers for all of those things? And I think that's the way we can come back to it. It's not that we need to say, oh, don't worry about praying any of those things because they're insignificant. No. That's the whole context where all of this stuff happens. But the Christian's priority overall is not just, I, God, we really pray that this all just gets really smoothed out. Now, partly because that's not a prayer that he's going to answer with a yes. It's a prayer that that prayer he answers at the return of Jesus. That's when all of those trials go away. Now, we are more than conquerors through our suffering, in our suffering, in our struggles and our pains. And we're praying that in all of that stuff, we get the final words here. What's he, how does he end it? Because this is the desire for the Christian. To the glory and praise of God. So Christians, we pray for one another and we're praying that ultimately for all of that stuff is because we want one another and we want the whole world to be living in the world and responding to our circumstances and our trials in ways that show and give glory and praise to God and say, We could trust him. It's amazing to belong to him. Uh, He's the one that came to save us. We trust all of his promises and he's with us as we go through. And in his kindness, because he's an amazingly kind God, he's actually still at work, even in all of those real world world circumstances. And we, we find him providing and fixing all kinds of circumstantial problems that we, that we do face. He often does that because he's so so gracious and kind. Uh, Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word to us. And as we as we go into the week, Lord, we pray that you would um, that you would be at work in our hearts, that you would shape us, uh, that in our prayer life uh, we would learn from you, uh, and we would shape our prayer life in a way uh, that honors you. Uh, and, and in a way that you love to answer yes to. We make our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.